Chapter One of Afloat on the Ohio, an historical pilgrimage of a thousand miles in a skiff from Redstone to Cairo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bill Mosley. Afloat on the Ohio by Reuben Goldthwaites. Chapter 1. On the Monongahela. The Overmountain Path. Redstone Old Fort. The Ukiogany. Braddock's Defeat. In a camp near Charleroi, Pennsylvania, Friday, May 4th. Pilgrim built for the glassy lakes and smooth flowing rivers of wisconsin had suffered unwanted indignities in her rough journey of a thousand miles in a box-car but beyond a leaky seam or two which the doctor had righted with clouts and putty and some ugly scratches which were only paint-deep she was in fair trim as she gracefully lay at the foot of the brownsville shipyard this morning and received her lading there were spectators in abundance. Brownsville in the olden day had seen many an expedition set out from this spot for the grand tour of the Ohio, but not in the personal recollection of any of this throng of idlers, for the era of the flatboat and pirogue now belongs to history. Our expedition is a revival, and therein lies novelty. However, the historic spirit was not evident among our visitors railway men coal miners loafing out the duration of a strike shipyard hands laying in wait for busier times small boys blessed with as much leisure as curiosity and that wonder of wonders a bashful newspaper reporter their chief concern centered in the query how pilgrim could hold that goodly heap of luggage and still have room to spare for four passengers it became evident that her capacity is akin to that of the magician's bag a dandy skiff gent said the foreman of the shipyard as we settled into our seats the doctor bow i stroke with w and the boy in the stern sheets having in silence critically watched us for a half hour seated on a capstan his red flannel shirt rolled up to his elbows and well corded chest and throat bared to wind and weather this remark of the foreman was evidently the studied judgment of an expert it was taken as such by the good-natured crowd which as we pushed off into the stream lustily joined in a chorus of good-bye and good luck to yees and you don't get the missus drownded for you get to cairo the current is slight on these lower reaches of the monongahela it comes down gaily enough from the west virginia hills over many a rapid and through swirls and eddies in plenty until morgantown is reached and then settled into a more sedate course is at brownsville finally converted into a mere mill-pond by the back set of the four slack-water dams between there and Pittsburgh. This means solid rowing for the first sixty miles of our journey, 
with a current scarcely perceptible the thought of it suggests lunch at the mouth of redstone creek a mile below dunlap creek our port of departure we turn into a shaly beach at the foot of a wooded slope in semi-rusticity and fortify the inner man a famous spot this redstone creek between its mouth and that of dunlap's was made upon the site of extensive indian fortification mounds the first agricultural settlement west of the alleghanies it is unsafe to establish dates for first discoveries or for first settlements the wanderers who first of all white men penetrated the fastnesses of the wilderness were mostly of the sort who left no documentary traces behind them it is probable however that the first redstone settlement was made as early as seventeen fifty the year following the establishment of the ohio company which had been chartered by the english crown and given a half million acres of land west of the mountains and south of the ohio river provided it established thereon a hundred families within seven years redstone old fort the name had references to the aboriginal earthworks played a part in the fort necessity and braddock campaigns in later frontier wars and being the western terminus of the over mountain road known at various historic periods as nimacolin's path braddock's road and cumberland pike was for many years the chief point of departure for virginia expeditions down the ohio river washington who had large landed interests on the ohio knew redstone well and here george rogers clark set out seventeen seventy eight upon flatboats with his rough-and-ready virginia volunteers to capture the country north of the ohio for the american arms one of the least known but most momentous conquests in history early in the nineteenth century redstone became brownsville but whether as redstone or brownsville it was in its day like most jumping-off places on the edge of civilization a veritable sodom wrote good old john pope in his journal of seventeen ninety and in the same strain scores of other voracious chroniclers quote, at this place we were detained about a week experiencing every disgust which rooks and harpies could excite End quote. here thrived extensive yards in which were built flatboats arks keelboats and all that miscellaneous collection of watercraft which with their roisterly crews were the life of the ohio before the introduction of steam rendered vessels of deeper draft essential whereupon much of the shipping business went down the river to better stages of water first to pittsburgh thence to wheeling and to steubenville all of that is of the past brownsville is still a busy corner of the world though of a different sort with all its romance gone to the student of western history brownsville will always be a shrine albeit a smoky dusty shrine with the smell of lubricators and the clang of hammers and much talk thereabout of the glories of mammon 
the monongahela is a characteristic mountain trough from an altitude of four or five hundred feet the country falls in sharp steeps to a narrow alluvial bench and then a broad beach of shale and pebble the slopes are broken here and there where deep shadowy ravines come winding down bearing muddy contributions to the greater flood the higher hills are crowned with forest trees the lower oft-times checkered with brown fields recently planted and rows of vines trimmed low to stakes as in the fashion of the rhine the stream though still majestic in its sweep is henceforth a commercial slackwater lined with noisy grimy matter-of-fact manufacturing towns for the most part literally abutting one upon the other all of the way down to pittsburgh and fast defiling the once picturesque banks with the gruesome offal of coal-mines and iron plants surprising is the density of settlement along the river often four or five full-fledged cities are at once in view from our boat the air is thick with city smoke belched from hundreds of stacks the ear is almost deafened by the whir and roar and bang of milling industries tipples of bituminous coal shafts are ever in sight begrimed scaffolds of wood and iron arranged for dumping the product of the mines into both barges and railway cars either bank is lined with railways inside of which we shall almost continually float all the way down to cairo nearly eleven hundred miles away at each tipple is a miner's hamlet a row of cottages or huts cast in a common mould either unpainted or bedaubed with that cheap ugly red with which one is familiar in railway bridges and rural barns sometimes these huts though in the mass dreary enough are kept in neat repair but often are they sadly out of elbows pigs and children promiscuously at their doors painless sash stuffed with rags unsightly litter strewn around misery stamped on every feature of the homeless tenements dreariest of all is a deserted mining village and there are many such the shaft having been worked out or an unquenchable subterranean fire left to smolder in neglect here the tipple has fallen into creaking decrepitude the cabins are without windows or doors these having been taken to some newer hamlet ridge poles are sunken chimneys tottering soot covers the gaunt bones which for all the world are like a row of skeletons perched high and grinning down at you in their misery while the black offal of the pit covering deep the original beauty of the once green slope is in its turn being veiled with climbing weeds such is nature's haste when untrammeled to heal the scars wrought by man a mile or two below charleroi is lock number four first of the quartet of obstructions between brownsville and pittsburgh we are encamped a mile below the dam in a cosy little willowed nook a rod behind our ample tent 
rises the face of an alluvial terrace, occupied by a grain field, running back for a hundred yards to the hills, at the base of which is a railway track. Across the river, here some two hundred and fifty yards wide, the dark, rocky bluffs, slashed with numerous ravines, ascend sharply from the flood, at the quarried base a wagon road and the customary railway, and upon the stony beach two or three rough shelter tents housing the black diamond brass band of Monongahela City, out on a week's picnic to while away the period of the strike. It was seven o'clock when we struck camp, and our frugal repast was finished by lantern light. The sun sets early in this narrow trough through the foothills of the Laurel Range. McKeesport, Pennsylvania, Saturday, May 5th. Out there on the beach near Charleroi, with the sail for an awning, Pilgrim had been converted into a boudoir for the doctor, who, snuggled in his sleeping bag, emitted an occasional snore. Echoes from the land of Nod. W. and our boy of ten summers, on their canvas folding cots, were peacefully oblivious of the noises of the night, and needed the kiss of dawn to rouse them. But for me, always a light sleeper, and as yet unused to our airy bedroom, the crickets chirruped through the long watches. Two or three freighters passed in the night, with monotonous swish, swish, and swelling wake. It arouses something akin to awe, this passage of a steamer's wake upon the beach, a dozen feet from the door of one's tent. First the water is sucked down, leaving for a moment a wet streak of sand or gravel, a dozen feet in width. In quick succession come heavy, booming waves, running at an acute angle with the shore, breaking at once into angry foam, and wasting themselves far up on the strand, for a few moments making bedlam with any driftwood which chances to have made lodgment there. When suddenly awakened by this boisterous turmoil, the first thought is that a dam has broken and a flood is at hand, but by the time you rise upon your elbow the scurrying uproar lessens and gradually dies away along a more distant shore. We were slow in getting off this morning, but the dense fog had been loath to lift, and at first the stove smoked badly, until we discovered and removed the source of trouble. This stove is an ingenious contrivance of the doctor's, a box of sheet iron, of slight weight, so arranged as to be folded into an incredibly small space, a vast improvement for cooking purposes over an open campfire, which Pilgrim's crew know, from long experience in far distant fields, to be a vexation to eyes and souls. Coaling hamlets, more or less deserted, were frequent this morning, unpainted, windowless, ragged wrecks. At the inhabited mining villages, either close to the strand or well up on hillside ledges, idle men were everywhere about, women and boys and girls were stockingless and shoeless, 
and often dirty to a degree but when conversed with we found them independent respectful and self-respecting folk occasionally i would for the mere sake of meeting these workaday brothers of ours with canteen slung on shoulder climb the steep flight of stairs cut in the clay bank and on reaching the terrace inquire for drinking water talking familiarly with the folk who came to meet me at the well curb there are old-fashioned dutch ovens in nearly every yard a few chickens and often a shed for the cow that is off on her daily climb over the neighboring hills through the black pall of shale a few vegetables struggle feebly to the light in the corners of the palings are hollyhocks and four o'clocks and on window-sills rows of battered tin cans resplendent in blue and yellow labels are the homes of verbenas and geraniums in sickly bloom now and then a back door in the dreary block is distinguished by an arbored trellis bearing a grapevine and furnishing for the weary housewife a shady kitchen al fresco as a rule however there is little attempt to better the homeless shelter furnished by the corporation we restocked with provisions at monongahela city a smart newish town and at elizabeth old and dingy it was at elizabeth then elizabeth town that travelers from the eastern states over the old philadelphia road chiefly took boat for the ohio the virginians still clinging to redstone as the terminus of the braddock road elizabethtown in flatboat days was the seat of a considerable boat-building industry its yards in time turning out steamboats for the new orleans trade and even sea-going sailing craft but today coal barges are the principal output of her decaying shipyards by this time the duties of our little ship's company are well defined w supervises the cuisine most important of all offices the doctor is chief navigator assistant cook and hewer of wood it falls to my lot to purchase supplies to be carrier of water to pitch tent and make beds and while breakfast is being cooked to dismantle the camp and so far as may be to repack pilgrim the boy collects driftwood wipes dishes and helps at what he can while all hands row or paddle through the livelong day as whim or need dictates lock number three at walton necessitated a portage of the load over the left bank it is a steep rocky climb and the descent on the lower side strewn with stone chips destructive to shoe leather the doctor and i let pilgrim herself down with a long rope over a shallow spot in the apron of the dam at six o'clock a camping ground for the night became desirable we were fortunate last evening to find a bit of rustic country in which to pitch our tent but all through this afternoon both banks of the river were lined with village after village city after city scarcely a garden patch between them wilson coal valley 
Lowstock, Glassport, Dravisburg, and a dozen others not recorded on our map, which bears date of 1882. The sun was setting behind the rim of the river basin when we reached the broad mouth of the Yakayogany, which is implanted with a cluster of iron mill towns, of which McKeesport is the center. So far as we could see down the Monongahela, the air was thick with the smoke of glowing chimneys and the pulsating wang of steel-making plants and rolling mills made the air tremble. The view up the Yawk was more inviting, so with oars and paddle firmly set, we turned off our course and lustily pulled against the strong current of the tributary. A score or two of houseboats lay tied to the McKeesport shore, or were bolstered high upon the beach. A fleet of yacht steamers had their noses to the wharf. A half-dozen fishermen were setting nets, and high over all, with lofty spans of iron cobweb, several railway and wagon bridges spanned the gliding stream. It was a mile and a half up the yock before we reached the open country, and then only the rapidly gathering dusk drove us ashore, for on near approach the prospect was not pleasing. Finally settling into this damp, shallow pocket in the shelving bank, we find broad-girthed elms and maples, screening us from all save the river front, the high bank in the rear fringed with blue violets, which emit a delicious odor, backed by a field of waving corn stretching off toward heavily wooded hills. Our supper cooked and eaten by lantern light, we vote ourselves as, after all, serenely content out here in the starlight, at peace with the world, and very close to nature's heart. There come to us on the cool evening breeze faint echoes of the never-ceasing clang of McKeesport iron mills down on the Monongahela shore. But it is not of these we talk, lounging in the welcome warmth of the campfire. It is of the age of romance, a hundred and forty-odd years ago, when Major Washington and Christopher Gist, with famished horses, floundered in the ice hereabout upon their famous midwinter trip to Fort Leboeuf, when the forks of the Yawk became the extreme outpost of western advance, with all the accompanying horrors of frontier war, and later, when McKeesport for a time rivaled Redstone and Elizabethtown as a center for boat building and a point of departure for the Ohio. Pittsburgh, Sunday, May 6th. Many of the trees are already in full leaf. The trillium is fading. We are in the full tide of early summer, up here in the mountains, and our long journey of six weeks is southward and toward the plain. The lower Ohio may soon be a bake oven, and the middle of June will be upon us before far away Cairo is reached. It behooves us to be up and doing. The river, flowing by our door, is an ever-pressing invitation to be onward. It stops not for Sunday, nor ever stops, 
and why should we mere drift upon the passing tide there was a smart thunder-shower during breakfast followed by a cool cloudy morning at eleven o'clock pilgrim was laden a southeastern breeze ruffled the waters of the yawk and for the first time the doctor ordered up the sail with w at the sheet it was not long before pilgrim had the water singing at her prow with a rush we flew past the factories the houseboats and the shabby street inns of mckeesport out into the monongahela where luckily the wind still held at mckeesport the hills on the right are of a relatively low altitude smooth and well-rounded it was here that braddock in his slow progress toward fort duquesne first crossed the monongahela to the wide level bottom on the left bank he had found the inner country to the right of the river and below the yawk too rough and hilly for his march hence had turned back toward the monongahela fording the river to take advantage of the less difficult bottom some four miles below this first crossing hills reapproach the left bank till the bottom ceases the right thenceforth becomes the more favorable side for marching with great pomp he recrossed the monongahela just below the point where turtle creek enters from the east within a hillside ravine but a hundred yards inland the brilliant column fell into an ambuscade of indians and french half-breeds suffering their heart-sickening defeat which will ever live as one of the most tragic events in american history the noisy iron manufacturing town of braddock now occupies the site of braddock's defeat not far from the old fort stretches the great dam of lock number two which we portaged with the usual difficulties of steep stony banks braddock is but eight miles across country from pittsburgh although twelve by river we have all the way down an almost constant succession of iron and steel-making towns chief among them homestead on the left bank seven miles above pittsburgh the great strike of july eighteen ninety two with its attendant horrors is a lurid chapter in the story of american history with shuddering interest we view the famous great bank of ugly slag at the base of the steel mills where the barges housing the pinkerton guards were burned by the mob today the homesteaders are enjoying their sunday afternoon outing along the town shore nurses pushing baby carriages self-absorbed lovers holding hands upon riverside benches merrymakers rowing in skiffs or crossing the river in crowded ferries the electric cars following either side of the stream as far down as pittsburgh crowded to suffocation with gaily attired folk they look little like rioters yet it seems but the other day when homestead men and women and children were hysterically reveling in atrocities akin to those of the paris commune approaching pittsburgh the high steeps are everywhere crowded with houses great masses of smoke color 
dotted all over with white shades and sparkling windows which seem in the gray afternoon to be ten thousand eyes coldly staring down at pilgrim and her crew from all over the flanking hillsides lock number one the last barrier between us and the ohio is a mile or two up the monongahela with warehouses and manufacturing plants closely hemming it in on either side a portage unaided appears to be impossible here and we resolve to lock through but it is sunday and the lock is closed above a dozen down-going steamboats are moored to the shore waiting for midnight and the resumption of business while below a similar line of ascending boats is awaiting the close of the day of rest pilgrim however cannot hang up on the levee with any comfort to her crew it is necessary with evening at hand and a thunderstorm angrily rising over the pittsburgh hills to get out of this grimy pool flanked about with iron and coal yards chimney stacks and a forest of shipping and to quickly seek the open country lower down on the ohio the lock keepers appreciated our situation two or three sturdy courteous men helping us carry our cargo by an intricate official route over coils of rope and chains over lines of shafting and along dizzy walks overhanging the yawning basin while the doctor directed to a certain chute in midstream took unladen pilgrim over the great dam with a wild swoop which made our eyes swim to witness from the lock we had laboriously been rowing on slack water all the way from brownsville with the help of an hour's sail this morning whereas now that we were in the strong current below the dam we had but to gently paddle to glide swiftly on our way a hundred steamers more or less lay closely packed with their bows upon the right or principal city wharf it was raining at last and we donned our storm wraps no doubt yellow pilgrim thought hereabout to be a frail craft for these waters her crew all poncho clad slipping silently through the dark water swishing at their sterns was a novelty to the steamboat men for they leaned lazily over their railings the officers on the upper deck engineers and rastabouts on the lower and watched us curiously our period of elation was brief black storm-clouds jagged and portentous were scurrying across the sky and by the time we had reached the forks where the monongahela in the heart of the city joins forces with the allegheny pilgrim was being buffeted about on a chop sea produced by cross currents and a northwest gale she can weather an ordinary storm but this experience was too much for her when a passing steamer threw out long lines of frothy waves to add to the disturbance they broke over our gunnels and w with the coffee-pot and the boy with a tin basin were hard pushed to keep the water below the thwarts seeking the friendly shelter of a houseboat of which there were scores tied to the left bank we trusted our drenched luggage to the care of its proprietor placed pilgrim in a snug harbor hard by 
and hurrying up a steep flight of steps leading from the levee to the terrace above found a suburban hotel just as its office clock struck eight across the ohio through the blinding storm the dark outlines of pittsburgh and allegheny city are spangled with electric lamps which throw toward us long shimmering lances of light in which the mighty stream gray and mysterious tempest-tossed is seen to be surging onward with majestic sweep upon its bosom we are to be borne for a thousand miles our introduction has been unpropitious it is to be hoped that on further acquaintance we may be better pleased with la belle riviere End of chapter one recording by bill mosley bernardo texas u s a